as you take your Bibles and prepare for the text this morning, I want to say welcome home. Perhaps maybe you, as I do in my own mind, need to stop and take a breath, kind of find shelter here from all that's going on in the world, all the the uh, crazy news that we hear from day to day, all of the the hatred, the anger, the frustration that we find going around. Maybe we need to take a breath and let that go. Maybe we need to let the guard down around our heart that we tend to put up to protect ourselves or to act like we're okay. We're not here to be fake. We're here to be real, right? Real with God, certainly, of course, and real with each other. And maybe before we start, it would be good to just take a moment and let that stress and weight that you might be carrying and that emotion that might be built up, maybe just let that fade away. And here's why I start with that, because we need to be reminded of that. It needs to be said, we are home here. This is home. This is our Father's house. We're here with our Father. Not only does He go with us day by day and in our, our lives day by day, but here we come home. It's as we gather around the table of our Father to spend some time with Him, um, we should find peace. And by the way, it's not just this building. Um, it's much more than that. It's us. We are the house. And He meets with us. He is in us. So here above all other places is the place to be real and honest. We need to not only be honest with what we might going, be going through and you know, ask each other for help and things of that nature, but we also need to be honest with what is going on around us. It does not take a rocket scientist or a professor of psychology to see what is going on. It's not good. It's not good. The direction the world is heading is not a good direction. And so what do we find ourselves asking the question, well, what do we do? Do we stand by powerless and quiet and copacetic? Or perhaps maybe it's time for us to take a stand, to separate ourselves from all the chaos, to stand firmly and say, no, this is what God says, and I know Him. He is my Father, and you need to know Him too. And to teach our kids what they must know and why they must stand as well. So what I'd like to do for the next few weeks is resurrect an old saying. And we're going to return to Romans when it feels right, when the Spirit leads me that way. And right now, that's not yet. We'll get back there. Nobody can fault me for not preaching topically because that's all I've done for about the past few months, good or bad. That's what the Lord has been leading me to do. But for what I want to do for the next few weeks is continue or, or, or spend some time in a wonderful book And that book is Daniel, the book of Daniel. So turn your Bibles there if you would. You'll find it right past Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Daniel is the next book. And that old phrase that I want to resurrect or bring back to your mind is kind of cheesy, kind of snappy and poppy, but oh so very relevant for the days that we live in, and that is this, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. So let's look at the text. We're going to read chapter 1 for our text. 
Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through the end. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's the reigning king in the southern part of Israel, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels under the treasure house of his God. Jerusalem, Israel, is taken captive and carried away. Verse 3, And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, that means good-looking, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, you know him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Well, you might not be familiar with those names. You should, but you're probably more familiar with their other names. Verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and of Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah of Abednego. Sound a little bit more familiar now? Verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Thereof he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face as worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse or vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat, and gave the wine and the wine that they should drink, and gave them pulse. As for these four children... God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of days that the king had said he should bring them in, that's three years, then the, prison, the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for this day and for the grace and the mercy that you've given us. 
I ask now that you would help us to open our hearts and our minds. Lord, communicate the truths here uh, to us through your Holy Spirit. Keep the distractions away, Lord, and help us to receive what you would have us do and help me to simply speak what you have laid on my heart. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the story is pretty self-explanatory. There's not a lot that I need to say. And some of you are very familiar with the contents of this book. Some of us have grown up with this from just a young age. You hear me mention quite a bit things called flannel graphs. I remember flannel graphs as little pictures and cutouts that you would stick on a flannel board as our teacher would tell us these stories and, and uh, relate to us what the Bible said. Some of us are very familiar with that, or at least the first six chapters, because then it starts getting into prophecy. And if you're not, well, you're in for a wonderful experience. Daniel is an amazing book. And it teaches us a lot. See, the question is not just what happened. Though we need to know it, we should be familiar with it. The question is also, what does this mean for me? I mean, is there something I can learn from this book that is thousands of years old? Does this speak to me right here, right now, in this day and age, with this climate and all this going on? Does it speak to me? Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. It teaches us very much that we should learn. And you're going to find a wonderful example in Daniel, who, by the way, is a type of Christ. Do you know that there are very few people in the Bible that there is no sin mentioned of? Job is one of them. Though he confesses his own sin, no sin is recorded of Job. The same is with Daniel. No sin other than his own confession in his own prayer, which I think is in chapter 5, no sin is recorded of him. In fact, Daniel is taken captive and he is in the palace. There's another prophet prophesying out in the city, if you will. That's Ezekiel. Ezekiel, who is a book right before Daniel, is prophesying at the same time. And you know what he says about Daniel? There's nobody righteous like Noah, Job, and Daniel. This is a very righteous man. We see his integrity. We see his courage. We see his conviction. So yes, we've got some things to learn. So let's get the setting first, because that's pretty important before we look at some of the points. In verse 1 and 2, we're told, The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's the reigning king in the southern part of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar shows up, he besieges the city, and you can learn all about this in the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles takes us to the end of Old Testament history. And the rest of the Old Testament is kind of filling in gaps and prophets that are going on. But 2 Chronicles takes us right up to that. Okay? And it tells us Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene, he besieges, he wins, and he takes the population captive. Israel is carried out of their land as slaves by a foreign nation. There's no negotiation. There's no terms. King Nebuchadnezzar takes the city. And it says, the Lord gave him, look in verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. This is judgment, is what it is. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, but you got some big, huge prophecy books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They They prophesy right before this happens. And you know what they're telling Israel? Hey, wake up, you better stop. You've, You've put off God too long and He's ready to judge. And they don't listen, do they? God sent multiple prophets to say, stop, stop disobeying me, stop treating everything as common. Nobody listened, and God's judgment fell, and so they're carried away captive. 
So they're in a foreign land. Daniel's not in Israel. He's in a foreign land with a foreign king in a foreign society. Now you have to, you have to realize too that as they're carried into Babylon, Babylon would have been impressive. It would have been beautiful. The architecture and history tells us that of the beauty and the extravagance of this kingdom of Babylon. From what I have learned, Nebuchadnezzar was second only to Solomon. There's gold everywhere. The the things that the king would wear and the people of the royal court were just probably breathtaking in their beauty. And they had something called hanging gardens, these suspended gardens with all kinds of um, flowers and plants that the Israelites had never seen. It probably would be very impressive to see. Wow, look at this place. But this is not their home. This is not impressive. It's oppressive, you see. The goal of King Nebuchadnezzar is not to bring them and give them a nice new home. The goal is to make them slaves, to assimilate them into society. And I want to say right from the start, don't miss the parables, or the parallels, and this is going to set the, the stage for the rest of the messages. You see, we too are in a foreign land. Now, it's a pretty good one, I'll say that. <laughs> it's very beautiful, to be sure. And it's impressive in many ways, and we have enjoyed God-given freedoms that we should be thankful for, and we should stand for, yes, But in the end, America's not my final home. You understand? It's not home. It's a good place, but it's not home. Even in this wonderful place, I am a stranger and I am a pilgrim on my way to heaven. And recent events should make that crystal clear for us. We got comfortable, didn't we? We got kind of just lulled into going along with the flow and then and we look around and we start saying, well, okay, yeah, this ain't home. There's a place of peace waiting. There's a place of perfect harmony waiting in heaven with my Father. The promised land is yet to come and we have to keep our eyes open to that. In fact, like I said, our eyes have been opened. When we see Americans acting un-American and treading on the flag and doing these despicable things, yes, there should be anger and we should, we should rise up and say, enough, and you treat this nation right. But we've got to realize that's humanity. That's what sin does. This is humanity wrecked by sin, separated from God. And it should open our eyes. The way out of that is not national pride. The way out of that is Christ. And Christ alone, the forgiveness and the cleansing and the repentance. We know what it means to be redeemed. And we need to spread that message because that's what the world needs. We can and we do enjoy immense blessing by God, but make no mistake, Satan is at work as, as well. He's at work to draw us away and to hold us captive, to assimilate us, to teach us his way, to enslave us. All that to say, Daniel is not in a good place, not good at all. This is not a vacation or some dream come true. He's not living his best life. He's in slavery to a foreign king in a foreign land. And in fact, for the rest of the book, for the rest of his life, he will not go home. He will not go home. But what does he do in that setting? 
Well, let's, let's look at what the king tries to do. Verse 3. Let's read down verse 3 through verse 7. The king spake to Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. This is who has been set over this group. He says, Bring certain of the children of Israel, the king's seed, the princes, ones that have no blemish but are well-favored. That means they're not like, they're, they're good-looking, they've got a good physique. Skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding, smart people that have the ability to stand in the king's palace, to be my servants in my palace, to do the things that I ask them. Not back-breaking labor, but servants within the palace. That we might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. They're going to learn Babylonian culture, Babylonian speak. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank. And he was going to nourish them this way three years, that at the end they're going to stand before the king. And of course, verse 6 and verse 7, we're told among them are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and they're given names. We'll come back to that in a minute. You see, the king has a plan. Bring me the choice ones. You bring me the best and the brightest and the best looking. Those that are of high-ranking families. You bring them to me and we're going to make them ours. We're going to make them ours. And by the way, given the different ages that Daniel is recorded in different chapters, these are young people, most likely teenagers. Teenagers that are brought into his court. You go get them and bring them to me. And the goal is indoctrination. You see, we're going to teach them our ways while they still have young, moldable minds. We're going to teach them to think and act and speak like we want them to. They're going to learn our laws. They're going to learn our customs. This is molding that's taking place. We're going to take these people of God and we're going to make them just like us. We're even going to change their names. We don't understand uh, in our culture, but this is really big that the name change happens. Whenever you see in somebody's name L, E-L, or A-H-A, or I-A-H, Aya, That's Hebrew for God, Yahweh, or Elohim. That's the Hebrew names of God. They have God in their name. That's how precious it was to them. So they were named after different attributes of God. Daniel, God is my judge. You know what his name is changed to? Belteshazzar, Baal protect the king. You see what's removed and what's replaced? Hananiah, God is gracious to Shadrach, or most likely Shadaku, the command of Aku, which is a Babylonian foreign god. Mishael, who is like God, to Meshach or Mishaku, who is like Aku. Azariah, Yahweh has helped me, to Abednego, not Abednego, <laughs> Abed-Nego, or most likely Abed-Nebo, servant of Nebo. Do you see the goal? The goal is to change their very identity. All of the names had some form of God. We're going to erase that right from the start. You're not who your parents want you to be. You're not who your parents hoped you would be and named you after. You are not your holy heritage. You are mine now. I'm going to make you fit For my kingdom. Listen now. Nothing has changed. 
Nothing has changed. Satan still does the same thing, doesn't he? It's still the same goal of the world leaders and the world system. We're going to train you. You are going to be trained to think like us and act and speak like us. You're going to be who we want you to be. We will give you your identity. And don't miss the target. The king is not stupid. Look who he goes for. He goes for the youth. See, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. But you can train a young one. You can train them from a young age. And you see, well, then that works much better because they grow up in that and then they can teach others. They can teach the younger generation coming up how to act and how to live. Listen, the world is after our young people. And we ought to make no mistake, they're going to try to give them an identity. They're going to try to mold young people into their form. And it starts in school. Putting seeds, even from kindergarten, of what they want our children to learn. What they should do when they grow up. And what college they should go to. And how much they should earn. And they have to believe this. And this is okay to believe. And this is not. At one time it was very subtle. Now it is not. It's very blatant. The world will change you, children. And give you the identity they want you to have. We must be aware of that as parents. We must speak to that as parents. But let me just say, it's not just for younger people, is it? No, there's a constant onslaught as we get older. Buy this, look like this, go here, stay here, say this, don't say this, right? You're not good enough like that, you need to be like this. And oddly, the message of the day is you be you and I be me, right? As long as we approve of you being you. As long as we approve of what you say when you want to be you. No, it's assimilation. You act and you speak and you think like this. This is what's acceptable. Oh, and they'll provide for it too. They'll set a table before us. What's with with, with the food and the wine and what's that all about? Does Nebuchadnezzar really care about these guys so much? He just wants to give them the best. Oh, I just like you guys so much. Here's the best food and the best wine. See how caring I am? No. You ever heard the phrase, wine and dine someone? Usually like to win their affection or their business or their love. It's the same kind of concept going going on here. He is not stupid. His goal is to build his empire, and he's starting with these choice ones who are still slaves and still captives, perhaps even made eunuchs, but he wants them in his court, right? Well, you draw more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So why not lure them a bit? Why not make them feel less angry and less hostile and a little bit more at home? Here, have this food. Make it so they say, well, see, it's, it's not that bad. We didn't eat like this back at home. Look where we get to stay and look what's provided for us. and Look what we get to learn. I guess it's not really that bad. Maybe we should just relax. And so he gives them the best. 
gives them promises of what it will be like every day. Show them in some way you can be like me. Look at, look at all that I have and how I live. And you know what? You can be just like this. Again, it's no different today, is it? You, you give people a little bit of a taste of what's called the good life, and people will do just about anything. And that's more than money, though usually that's the way it comes. It's more than money. Give them a sense of importance or of belonging, or friendship, and family, and society. And many people will do anything to have that. There's many ways that Satan would wine and dine us today. Many ways to lure us into a sense of acceptance. And so that begins. Now just think of this too. It would have been very easy for these young Hebrews to say, whatever, man. Who cares? Who's going to know? What does it matter anyways? Might as well just go along with it. I mean, we're in a bad situation. I can't really follow God's commands in all of this mess right now, right? Very easy for them to justify turning away. And we do it today. We say, listen, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm facing. I'm in a tough place. Or we put on a face when we're around people, but behind the scenes we live a different life. There's many ways that this could happen and just say, whatever, who cares? It's so easy to go with the flow. But not Daniel. Not Daniel. Not his friends. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He would not defile himself. He saw right through it. He says, you know what? This is not right. This is not decadence. This is disgusting. And I'm not going to do this. Why is it disgusting? Well, first of all, he knew God and His Word. And this meat was offered to idols, no doubt, before it was served to them. It was offered to Aku and Nebo and all of the others that they served then given to them. And the law says, you don't do that. No, you have one God. You serve me. And Daniel says, I will not. I will not go against what God has told me to do. You see, he's a young man of integrity. He's a righteous man. And we see that from his life. He values God and His Word and prayer. He bows to God and God alone. And he sees right through the charade. He says, I'm not going to go there. You can change my name. You can change my setting. You can change what you require of me. But you cannot change who I am. And I am a servant of God. And I will stay true to Him. Daniel purposed in his heart. And you know what? He's not alone. There's three others, right? Three. I don't think there was only four children of Israel taken. I think there was a lot. And out of them all, it was three. You know, sometimes when you take a stand, you might expect everyone to catch on. You might have visions of revival maybe in your school or your workplace or even your family sometimes. Much of the time, that is not the case. There's a few. There's a few who are faithful to God. But that doesn't change Daniel's mind. He doesn't look around and say, oh, 
I don't know about this. I don't got enough support. No. He stands and he says, I will not defile myself, even if I stand alone. So the question is, are we going to be part of the few? Are we going to purpose in our heart to stand for God and stand against the world? And that starts right in our hearts, in our minds, in the very center of our being. We must purpose in ourselves that we're going to be faithful to God no matter what. No matter what this world offers us. No matter what kind of promises are made. Because all of them are empty. We've, some of us have lived long enough to know right now the world's promises are empty. They always fail. They always fall short. They might look good. But in the end, they fail. God never fails. And even though His promises might look like vegetables and water compared to meat and wine, they are always better and they're always, He always keeps them for us, doesn't He? So will we purpose in our heart to stand as Daniel did and say, no more, no more. But I want you to see it's more than just thoughts more than some quiet personal purpose, he takes action. Verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. In verse 10, the prince says, "Ah, man, you're putting me in a bad position. So Daniel goes around him. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask somebody else. Verse 11, Daniel says to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel. So Prince of the Eunuchs is like head boss under Nebuchadnezzar. Then you got this guy like a supervisor. He says, hey, this is what I want to do. Try it out. Verse 12, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Give them vegetables and water to eat. Excuse me, vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then look at us. See if we don't look better, if we don't look more healthier than all there around. In verse 14, he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. You see what he does? Now, he's not disrespectful. In fact, he had carried himself in a way that he had a good relationship with his captors. He wasn't spitting bitterness all the time. This is what you're going to eat. Pooey on you. I don't, I don't have to do anything you say. You know, that kind of an attitude. No, he had a good relationship with them. Just because we disagree with someone does not mean we cannot be civil to them. I wish people would learn that. Just because we might have two diametrically opposed views does not mean that I cannot carry myself in a way that is civil and winsome and respectful. And Daniel does that. And he comes up with a plan. There's books written on this. The Daniel plan. It's a diet plan. I don't think this is a diet plan. I don't think this is scriptural proof for vegans. I think it's him saying I'm not buying in. I'm not, I'm not buying into this. I'm not going along with your plan. I'm not consuming what you're going to feed me. I'm going to put clean stuff in my body. I'm going to have a clean intake. And let me just say, be careful what you feed yourself. Not food, but what you allow in. What you allow your spirit and your soul to feed on. Information you feed yourself. Influence that you allow to lead you. Oh, there is a banquet set before you. You've got news and advice and self-help books and professionals and counselors and life coaches. It's endless, right? Of people that would tell us how to think and how to act and how we should lead our lives. And you've got the media, this oppressive giant that just keeps spewing junk. Be careful what we intake. How many of you 
myself included, over these past past few weeks have spent more time on social media than in the Bible. If we're honest. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling to see what happened. Or maybe a news app. Scrolling to see all the different what's going on and what's happening. News conference after news conference that we watch until we feel like we're stuffed and we can't take it anymore. And you feel it. Like that meal that's supposed to be really good, but you feel like junk after because you ate too much. You ever had that happen? <laughs> Looking forward to it and afterwards you just feel sick because you ate too much, you consumed too much. The table of the world can do that, right? There's like a rush of adrenaline or dopamine as we, we see these, these stories come up and it's the latest scandal or the latest news and the latest absurd thing that the left is doing or the president's statements that being he being who he is and we say right on or whatever. There's a rush, but there's more too. There's an effect it has on us, see? And either one of two things can happen. You start to believe it. You say, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Or, if you're like me, which I think most of us are, you feel terrible, angry, and bitter, and frustrated, full of spite, full of hatred, that I didn't feel that way until I heard that story, or I read that article, or I saw that post, right? you kind of go around the rest of your day just shaking your head and perhaps it's time to back up from the table and say, nope, that's enough. No more. I'm not filling myself with all this junk. I'm not going along with this because I see past it. I know why you keep feeding these stories out. I know why you keep telling me this or telling me that. I see past it and I, I know what you're doing. I'm not going to accept what you feed me as truth about sexuality or success or happiness or identity or who I should be or who I should not be. I'm going to stand on God's Word and God's Word alone. I'm going to allow this to feed me, His Spirit to give me strength, His very hand to guide me in everything that I do in life. Enough of the table. No more. It's what Daniel says. And so comes the test. And Daniel says, just try it out. You're going to see it's better. God's way is always better. That much is a fact. You and I just need faith to step up just like Daniel did. I love verse 12. Prove thy servants. Prove it. You you have a doubt? Prove it. You have a doubt about God's God's power this morning? Let God prove Himself. You put His word to to the test. You put the principles He gives us to live by as first and foremost in your life. You step up and say, Okay, God, I'm going to follow You. I'm going to tune out the world and all of that is setting before me. And I'll guarantee you, you watch Him work. You watch yourself grow in spiritual uh, growth. And you watch your heart be full more of love and care instead of bitterness. You watch your heart and mind be more full of wisdom rather than hatred and mindless chatter. Prove Him. Put Him to the test and you'll see that He's better. 
And watch Him work in your life as He brings you into favor with others and watch Him open doors. Daniel says, prove us and see what God can do. And God steps up. He does and they come out better. Verse 15. At the end of ten days, their countenances, their whole appearance was better, fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat a portion of the king's meat. God worked because they followed Him. Verse 17, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. You see, God blesses them. God elevates them in their life because of their stand for Him. In the end of days, verse 18, when the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. They now stand before the king of the world. And the king communed with him. And among them all, all of them, was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. They were the ones who were chosen. You see how God elevate and blessed their stand for him? He brought them in a place of influence, a special place. In fact, verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Ten times better. I love that. Prove us. Prove thy servants. See if God doesn't work and God does and He brings them ten times better than anything that the best of the world could produce. God is more than able to work in our lives. Do you understand that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? He is more than able to work. He is more than able to qualify us to stand in a place of influence. God's Word fits us for that. It enables us to lead others. It enables us to hold places of importance. It enables us to have knowledge, but in the right way. With the right filter. I know, well, that sounds very arrogant. I know some things. I know mechanics. I know how to turn a bolt. I know how to diagnose some things. That's knowledge. I know how to build things. That's knowledge. That knowledge is not evil. I know a little bit of Spanish. Not very good. (laughs) That's knowledge. It's not evil to learn Spanish or to learn a trade. It's not evil to learn about other cultures. It's not evil to know the laws of the land of America. But all of that is filtered through something for me. You know what that filter is? God's Word. This is first and foremost. And everything I know, even as for my vocation, everything I know passes through this first. Daniel and his friends learned Chaldean. They learned the ways of the land that they were slaves in. But you know what the filter was? The filter was God's word first. And every action they had, every word they spoke was the filtered through this. And God qualified them to stand in a place of influence. To know what they knew but standing first and foremost on God's Word. You know, God can do that for us. He can put you in a place of influence, whether it's in your job or in your family, that we can have an impact on those around us in the right way. The whole nation would be impacted because of Daniel's stand. He purposes in his heart from the get-go, and that sets the tone for the rest of his life. He understands how they think now, you see? He learns their culture and their language. And it would not 
be hurtful for us to learn where other people are coming from, to understand why they might say the way things that they do. But he doesn't let it change him, you see. He doesn't let it influence him. He is the one who influences others. We don't have to buy into the world system. We can say no, and then in turn, through the power of God working in in us and through us, we can begin to influence the very system itself. What we are seeing out there is a product of the king's table. It is a product of people that bought into the system. Perhaps parents one or two generations ago that began to let their guard down and say, whatever, who cares? And they began to partake of the king's meat and the king's wine and the world's ways and the world's thinking. And they raised their children that way, who then raised their children that way, and what we see is a product of the king's table. Person by person, home by home, it began to take hold. What needs to happen is you need a purpose in your own heart to say, no, I'm backing up from the table. And what will be fed in my house, to my family, to my own heart, is going to be clean. It's going to be God's Word, not what the world says. And then, person by person, home by home, society can then begin to be influenced. All we need is some to stand together and say, together, no. All we need is a few churches to take a stand and say, no. And then begin to influence each one in our own life and say, no, no more. And listen, I know exactly where we are. We're in ground zero for progressive politics. We are at the very center of liberalism here in California with rulers above us that would very much, not would, they very much do want to influence how we act and how we think and what we say and what we can't say, right? And it's all crossed, our, it's crossed all of our minds how easy or better it would be to be somewhere else, right? Goodness, this is getting insane. It's too hot for me here for me anyways. I don't think it hasn't crossed my own mind. But I know this. We might be dead center of the modern day Babylon, but I know this place is full of God's people. You go five minutes here, there's a church. Five minutes that way, there's a church. Fifteen minutes down the freeway, 25 minutes down the freeway, our very brethren we, we hold close to. It's like that all up and down the state. Concentrated in a way that's much more than other states. I don't think that's by accident. I think that's by God's design. And I don't care if you're old state. I don't care if you're ABA. I don't care if you're independent fundamental. If God's people all across this land would stand up and stand together, purposing in our hearts and say, no, that's enough. We will not eat at this table. We will not accept this. We're not going to follow the word, the world. We're going to follow the word. That would begin to turn the tide. It's not, our hope doesn't lie in red votes. Our hope lies in God's people standing fearlessly, just like Daniel and his friends. 
to say, no, I'm not going to do this. We will not eat at the king's table. May I remind you, all we are seeing is a spiritual battle. The news, it's a spiritual battle. The events taking place is a spiritual battle. That should open your eyes, and may I remind you again, we are on the winning side. We are not defeated. We, are, we go into the world with that kind of a mindset. We have God and His Holy Spirit, the Creator of all things, who in the end wins at our backs. Maybe we ought to face society or Antifa or whoever with that kind of a mindset to know who it is we serve. We are on the winning side. The same God of Daniel who works in amazing ways. You know what? We call Him Father. And you fathers ought to know you do anything for your kids. Somebody messes with your kids, well, you, you're right there. I don't care who they are, right? Stay away from my kids. You don't touch my kids. You think God's any different? Where do you think we got it from? It's from Him. He's just asking us to stand and say, no, I'm not enough. I'm backing up from the table. I'm not going along with your plan. Or we could stay passive and say, what does it matter and who cares anyways? Let me just put this before you in closing as a preface to next week. All of this conditioning, all of this assimilation is being done for a purpose. We heard about this morning in this devotional is to bow. To bow and worship the world. Think of that next time you say, well, it's not a big deal. That's okay. It doesn't do any harm. Yes, it does. It's planting seeds ultimately with the goal of you bow to me when I say so. This stand, though it may seem small of just not eating some certain stuff, this stand is the first step to standing tall when everybody else bows. Maybe we need to take that step now and say in our own heart, enough, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going along with your plan, with what you would feed me, enough. Daniel put purpose in his heart and he took a stand at the beginning. And you know what Daniel does? All through the book of Daniel, he stands. He stands when others bow. He prays when others bow. He stands. And he never stops. Maybe we need to start doing that today. Maybe maybe you and I, we need to push back from the table that this world has set before us purpose in our heart that we're going to stay true to God above all else and then put feet to our prayers. Will you dare to do that? Because it's going to be scary. It might be scary to take a look at your life and say, you know what? I need a new job. Or you know what? I'm homeschooling the kids. Or I'm leaving college. Or I'm going to speak out against the hot button issues of society. There's many different ways it can Work out, right? But this starts with taking a stand and purposing in our own heart. It's a decision that starts right here in us. It might be scary. might seem daunting, but I know this. God will bless. And God will give strength. And we can have the same impact as Daniel. Far beyond what we could ever imagine. But it's going to start here in our own heart. So will you dare to stand like Daniel? Let's bow our heads. Father.
We come before you ask now that you would uh, take these words, this amazing example you've given in our brother Daniel, that you would uh, take the truths deep to our heart that we might receive strength and encouragement from them. Lord, if there be anyone here that needs to begin with this purpose today, uh, that you would lead and draw and give strength as only you can. Please use this message and move among us as you see fit. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.